Welcome back, Produce Family. I am Maddie Fisher, and I'm thrilled to introduce tonight's magical guides. It is John Papp and Patrick Kelly, and they are taking us on a captivating journey through the history of fresh produce, seen in some of the most iconic Disney movies. So grab your popcorn and get comfortable, because our hosts are ready to unravel the enchanting mysteries behind fresh produce. Thank you, Maddie. That was... That was quite the introduction. <laughs> I hope we can live up to that. That is, this, that is why, good. this is why we have her. Like this is like the best thing ever. But all right, Maddie, we're, we appreciate you. We're gonna we're gonna uh, drop you to the uh, the green room, and we appreciate you as always. Bye. Wow. So that's man. Wow <laughs> is definitely I'm, I'm speechless. I'm right. Speechless. I well, like it. Good I evening, like everybody. Good evening, Patrick. Here we are for the first live stream of 2024. Exciting. Are you excited, Patrick? Uh, listen, when you talk about Disney, I'm always excited. Always. How can you not be? It's like like Maddie said, it's magical. I, listen. But we hopefully we're not going to take, take away too much of the magic tonight. But you know, when when you have to delve into history, there's always a little bit of magic taken out. I think so. But it's okay. I, th I think we'll, we'll still keep it magical in different ways. We'll I think, I think that the movies that we're going to cover are definitely part of history and they're all around fun. So I would say whether you like Disney or not, uh, whether you like where it's gone from you know past to future, drop all that out of your mind because we're here to talk a little bit about fresh produce in the Disney world, right? Is it magic or reality, fact or fiction? Because these two produce guys, we're, we're about to unravel it all, right, John? Oh, yeah. it's it's. Uh, I think you're going to have a new appreciation when you watch these movies. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you've seen something and you didn't see it before, and then you just can't stop seeing it anymore when you rewatch <laughs> the movie. I think you're going to walk away with that tonight, unfortunately. It's like the Little Mermaid in the castle. I'm not going to tell you what's in the castle of the Little Mermaid, but once you see what's in the castle of that Little Mermaid on the cover, you'll never unsee it. And I'm not even going to tell you what, what it is. is. So that's news to me. Oh, my gosh. There's like, there's like hidden gems in all of the Disney movies. You just got to figure it out. But one thing I do want to point out, everyone, is that Maddie did introduce us, but today... Or I should say this evening, I'm gonna say uh, my name is Crunk. Uh, so uh, that's how we're gonna we're gonna start the episode right here. Uh, right, right. What do you say, Jafar? <laughs> Ooh, I, I did not I did not prepare my Jafar voice. You did not warn me that I was gonna be acting tonight. <laughs> well, listen, improv is the best way to go, buddy. <laughs> well, before we delve into the magical world of Disney. Um, for all our listeners here, um, thank you again for being here. Um, if you are here, chances are you're, you're um, loyal listeners. We, we appreciate you very much. Um, and we're just going to do a quick rundown of episodes that we've released uh, recently and what's coming up. Um, so you will have heard, hopefully by this point, uh, parts one and two of our series, our four-part series on the stolen lands of Hawaii, um, which has been a lot of fun to uncover and understand uh that really um i would say not very often told history um and in the coming weeks you're gonna get parts three and four so stay tuned for that 
And soon after that series ends, we are going to do some one-off episodes, one of them being Seat to Plate. And um, that was with uh, Indigenous Americans and their um, basically evolution of their foods from pre-contact all the way to today. It's a lot of history. We covered all in one episode. It's probably something we're going to come back to again down the road and go into more detail, but it'll set the stage nicely to get a, a general lay of the land. So that's a, a little bit of what's coming down the pipe. We've got some fun things for sure. And, you know, with the first live stream, we had to make it somewhat fun. Before we get started, we do have a couple of people already on. And it's so funny because, you know, Jahoon went in and said, Maddie makes it sound so much better than either of you uh, doing the intro. I, I will not argue with that. I will not argue with that as well. <laughs> but listen, that's why we have Maddie. She she makes us look good. And, you know, I always say this, you know, behind every man is a better woman. Okay. okay. So, let, so let's just, let's just leave it at that. A couple other comments that I see. Someone did say a LinkedIn user said, you guys should have dressed up in Disney costumes for the event. Yes, we should have. Maybe not. Right? We, we should have, but could have, would have, should have at this point. Okay. <laughs> and uh, shout out Amanda Rose on LinkedIn already saying, uh, hey guys, so appreciate you being here. Uh, we've got a few people still joining on, but we're going to go ahead and, and get started because we got a lot to cover and we don't even know if you're ready for it. So John, what do you say? You want to start off with the first, uh, the first one and I'll, I'll get into it. Um, let's, let's dive into it. Let's so do it. to give people the lay of the land tonight, we're going to highlight four, four, uh, different movies. Cause there's no way we can go through all the Disney movies. We kind we of pick kind of our favorites as well. As some of the more popular ones, uh, that we would have heard in, I guess our childhood at least. Um, so, Four ep- four movies, uh, and we're going to delve into those and see how accurate they are from a fresh produce perspective. So the first one, which you might have just caught a glimpse of, that was my view. <laughs> was is Beauty and the Beast. It it is Beauty. And who doesn't love Beauty and the Beast? And the Beast, and, and just to you know let everybody know, that's one of Maddie's favorites. I, I think it's one of all of our favorites. So everyone, oh, please be our guests tonight. Okay. Be our guest. Well, here we go. So as you, you think about beauty and the beast, uh, let's get, go ahead and get the background on this, right? Get the history, right, John. So, you know, uh, based on the version of the French novelist, Jean Marie, Le Prince de Beaumont in 1756 in magazine des enfants, the children's collection original fairy tale was written by the French novelist, Gabrielle Suzanne Barbe de Villeneuve. And they, she published this in 1740 in La Jeune Americaine et les Contesse. Woo. You like that? Mm-hmm. The young American and Marine tales. So where was this published? Uh, the Alsace region in France, if I'm saying that correct, everyone, I apologize. We we learn and research some of these so we don't have the best pronunciations. Um, when was it? Uh, 18th century. So you like, you figure the pre-French revolution. And right. we wanted you to know this history. Why? Because when we start to think about some of the fruits 
and veggies or plates that are in it, is it fact? Is it fiction? Is it even reality, right? Were these plates or dishes even around uh, back then, right, John? That That's one of the thing, things exactly. that's very, very key. So in 18th century France, it enjoyed a climate of growing prosperity fueled uh, by a sustained rise in population. Uh, better preventative medicine, a decline in infant mortality, and the near disappearance of widespread famine after 1709. Now, the French cuisine is already a century into developing and refining its culinary technique and style. Now we get into agriculture. So, modest improvements in farming techniques and introduction of new crops as maize also known as corn, which we covered in one of our episodes, and potatoes allowed French farms to feed the country's growing population. Now, that the increased number of peasants led to further subdivision of land and greater competition for leases. The economic benefits of agricultural growth went mostly to landlords and the small minority of prosperous peasants. Ooh, okay. I've started to notice that land, right, and farming all together go with power, John. And this sets the stage very importantly, right? So this is pre-French Revolution. So you have this period of enormous growth. I mean, France is the power in Europe at this point in time. And the peasantry class in particular, like you just said, was really booming because of the medicine and the the decline in the famine. And so, um, and this this will set the stage nicely, actually, for a future episode that we're going to do during the Napoleonic era after the French Revolution and how that drastically changed agriculture. So back to Beauty and the Beast, though, this is the, the era that the movies sort of set in. You know, Disney's never completely committed to a specific location or a specific time. It's, it takes pieces of, I would say, like a, a window in time, a, right. kind of a big window, but it's generally in this window. And then, like you said, this helps us to better understand, okay, are what we're seeing in this video, again, with fresh produce accurate, or is it completely from another uh, period that shouldn't be there in the first place? So I think the first scene is uh, what, when Belle's in the in the town, right? The beginning. You're, you're 100% right. So as you as we look at, at, uh, at this, this is in the town, right? So in this little town, Belle sings of her poor pro- uh, providential town as she dances through the bustling market, if you remember. Um, rustic, simple food in town, highlighting the pre-revolution class. And if you remember, as we show in this picture right here, they're, they're, they're carrying around pumpkins, John. Yep, that's one of the ones that we see. And pumpkins is actually... Um, not from Europe, but the first explorers did actually bring pumpkins home with them to Europe. And that was around the mid 1500s. So pumpkins were actually being cultivated in England and France during probably this time around the 17, well, 18th century in this case, like we were saying, and actually was in the 17th century that there was this um, French chef, Francois Pierre Laverne, who actually was credited with developing the first recipe for a pompion tart, so that's pumpkin tort, uh, around 1650. So figure about 100 years before the setting of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and that was basically the precursor to pumpkin pie. So this is pretty accurate. I think, I mean, which that's what I love about it. 
So when you think about some of these things, you're like, wait a minute, were there pumpkins there? And even some of the, as she stepped out the door, if you remember, she, her, I would say her house had a small little uh, farm right as she opened up the gate. We couldn't get a glimpse of that, but let's keep, let's keep moving forward because apple orchards, let's go talk about apples too. So apple orchards existed and, you know, have existed in Normandy, which, which brought us to later in the film. And you might have remembered that Belle, when she went, or sorry, not went, was taken or kept captive at the castle, right? Uh, she then had what? There was some pies, apple pie, or was it pumpkin pie, pie or blueberry <laughs> pie? So since, you know, so apple orchards have existed in Normandy since the, at least the 8th century. Apples were probably the most accessible fruit in the medieval Europe. Mm-hmm. Every culinary manuscript contains a large percentage of apple-based recipes. Okay. And then even grapes. Grapes had been in France for centuries. French wine originated in the 6th century BC, but the use of table grapes became more popular in the early 1500s. Uh, by French King Francois. So think about it. Is that fact or fiction, the pie that Belle had at the Beast's Kingdom? What would you say? I, I mean, I, so far, this is all pretty in in line with reality of the period that we expect Beauty and the Beast to be in and the crops that were seen in the movie. And, and actually, a, a good comments or observation here as well so this that scene uh in that picture is during the be our guest the big number um and that is obviously in beast castle and during this period as well so this is also a period where you know well just before this period i would say is when the grand cuisine of france was established you know this is when the french cuisine really came to birth and within that period, you have these aristocrats that are basically associating gluttony uh, with courtly lifestyle. You know, if you're overeating and you're having these huge parties, you are legendary. You are showing off your nobility. And that's exact, that's pretty much exactly what you see in the BR guest scene is this over the top food and entertainment. And that is so in line with um, the the environment of French cuisine in that period. So that was also spot on. So I think it's pretty cool. Like you said, meals were the kingly affairs, both in quantity and quality. So some of the things that you see in Beauty and the Beast were were pretty accurate. Now, as we're going to start wrapping up Beauty and the Beast, we want to show one one more that's going to obviously bring attention to, because if you remember, uh, John, when they were at the table, uh, the beast goes ahead and serves soup. Yeah, and that was a few times actually, right? There's a few true. scenes as he as he, as he gentles up. They're they're constantly coming back to a scene where he's getting a little more refined and eating his soup. Remember so, the think, first one? He was like slurping it and and gouging it down at at the first part of it. And like then my it kids turned, do. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit a little more elegant. Um, you know, because he was a prince. Remember, if you think about that, you know. He was a prince. He just was a beast for so long. So Belle and the beast enjoying soups. Soups 
were a common dish both in the royal courts and in the peasants' dining room. So they are filled with water, herbs, root vegetables such as radishes, carrots, turnips, and leeks, and they were cooked all day. So in the evening, the people would bring their earthenware or wooden bowls to be filled with stock and enjoyed a fresh cup of soup. So I would say if we were to look at the entire, you know, Beauty and the Beast, I would say that it's it's fact. I would say it's very fact to the days and the movie holds pretty prominent to saying, I go ahead and say great job on Disney for this one, that they did a great job in correlating the fruits and vegetables of this time period mixed in with the movie. What would you say, John? No, absolutely. And not only the, the, the fruit and vegetables that they captured, but also just the environment as well as like we were saying about the, the dining experiences is also captured. So Definitely, I would say if we're if we're writing fact fiction here, this is definitely um, on the side of fact. I, I definitely so, good job, Beauty and the Beast. I agree. Good job, Beauty and the Beast, and and even the next one. Now, before we get started on the next one, this is obviously this is one of yours. My, mine's coming up next. You know that that relates to yes. The next uh, one coming up is my, my favorite. <laughs> yes, actually, yes. So, my name is what's uh, inspired by this next one. So, um, and I think this one is probably one of the most interesting, in my opinion, um, just because of the vast array of history in it. So Aladdin, um, also I think up there with the Disney classics. Um, so Aladdin is really interesting because it's based off of one of the best known tales in the collection of 1001 nights and i think a lot of us would recognize that as the arabian nights i was just about right? to say arabian day right and they, and they sing it in the in the movie right so they're they're doing an exact announcement of where this story is coming from the arabian nights now despite it not being part of the original text of the collection of the arabian nights it was actually added by a Frenchman, Antoine Guyenne, on the basis of a folktale that he had heard from um, a Maronite storyteller uh, story in the city of Aleppo. So this was actually added after the fact of the collection of the Arabian Nights, but still remains one of the most popular ones. Now, if we look and kind of try to figure out what period this movie's in, it gets a little complicated. So before... I get into why I'll tell you what we think and what most experts think this is set in. So they figure that this is taking place um, in Baghdad during the Abbasid Empire. And the Abbasid Empire was around the 800s, so 800 AD. Now, the Abbasid Empire um, was basically this big Islamic empire that emerged after the fall of the classical empire. So the Romans are gone, the Persians are gone, and the uh, is Islamic empire fills that void. And there's a lot of um, elements and settings that are reflected from the golden age of this period in the movie. So if we recall, the, there's a fictitious city that this all happens in, which is called yep. Agrabah. And now there's a lot of similarities between Agrabah and Baghdad during the Abbasid rule. So you have the architecture and city layouts that are quite similar to Baghdad during this period. But there's also an element of the cultural and geographical uh, 
period of it that goes back to Morocco and India. So there's the red city of Morocco nicknamed for Marrakesh. And, you know, if you look at pictures of Marrakesh today, it's a lot of earthy colors, flat roofed structures. And you see a lot of that in the Aladdin city of Agrabah. Um, in addition, Agra, which you hear in Agrabah, is actually a city in India that houses the Taj Mahal. So think about the palace and Aladdin looks awfully similar to the Taj Mahal. I think we all probably are familiar with the Taj Mahal. So if you, if you just look at those two castles side by side, well, Taj Mahal is not a castle, but those two buildings side by side, very similar. Um, so basically what you have in Agrabah is a blend of the people of Baghdad with the architecture and clothing in Morocco and India. So all right. That's kind of a background of the city. Now, what's going on with the agriculture? And the agriculture is actually fascinating during the Abbasid region. Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot. So during the Abbasid time, uh, the development of agriculture was just off the charts. So again, Baghdad, basically in the middle of a desert to a degree. Uh, there was very uh, limited uh, avenues of water intake. So they had to convert this land into something that could produce food and they did that and they developed this through uh sophisticated systems of irrigation and so within about 100 years of baghdad uh the surrounding just became you know this this garden-like environment and they were able to grow a number of crops so the staple crops during that period of the abbasid region or the abbasid um, empire was barley rice wheat dates cotton sesame flax and they also did lots of fruit and fruit was actually seen more as a science they're trying to figure out what they could grow what they couldn't do and this whole period became just an agricultural revolution and like i touched on was irrigation was drastically improved at this point they adopted scientific approaches to farming so you know kind of how we have the zones of where you can grow things today and and all that so that's where this was established. They they came up with farming manuals that were producing in every corner of the Muslim world, detailing where, when, and how to plant these various crops. Um, there was rules on land ownership and labor rights. And so there's the introduction of the whole sharecropping, um, which gave big incentives to engage in agriculture, of course. Um, and then there were just a lot of new crops that were introduced in this very region that ended up actually getting um, exported uh, everywhere especially into Europe. So Crazy. This, is, this is the environment that this movie appears to be set in. So that gives you a little bit of an understanding of Aladdin and the historical context of that period uh, of what we're looking at. So Wait. if we look at the first scene, which is the perfect scene, if you're trying to look at fresh produce is the marketplace. Yep. And if you all recall, so Jasmine is sneaking out of the castle because she's sick of, being suffocated by the walls of 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 her palace and oh. she climbs over the wall <laughs> i know hard life hard life and she's just she strolls into this bustling um marketplace and she's just you know remember so she's been in we it's implied that she's been just inside palace walls all her life so she sees all this stuff and is just completely taken aback and what do we see yep. so the first thing here you see are dates which we know, which we know are very true to that area too. Exactly. Exactly. Desert, right? The, even in, even in the movie, if you see like the palms, there were a lot yep. of palms in the movie as well. 
So that's also which when you see that, you know, we, there's many things that you saw, right? There was watermelons, there was apples, but sugar dates, pistachios, but the date was a crucial crop, right? Dates were one of the main dietary and staple for much of the population. Am I right, John? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, they were they were everywhere. <laughs> they were everywhere. One of the staples. And they were eaten, right? They, you know, dates were not only eaten plain, but they were used in, you know, producing a strong type of vinegar as well as various beverages. So, yeah. you know, the when she goes into the marketplace and they and as you notice, like in the movie, they're 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 selling. <laughs> like they're like they're street hustlers, just like oh, yeah. some of the wholesale marketplace. I was going to say, this is like New York in the, what, the early 1900s? I mean, Paul Manfred might have peppers in this market. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, he has a stand in there. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. But in addition to dates, there's another um, 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 seat, well, captured moment in this same scene um, with the yep. boo, the monkey, right? So he's... He's always trying to get food, that monkey. And the monkey, one of the things... The monkey's uh, always, always yeah, trying always. to get something. I, so. I can't blame him. You know, there's pull, let's pull actions. that one up. So here, um, you're going to see that melons. So he's picking up a watermelon. And according to um, a Persian philosopher and historian, very um, recognized during this period... Um, documents specifically that melons and watermelons were very popular in Iraqi markets. So this is spot on again. And not only were they popular in Iraqi markets, but they were cultivated widely in this area. There was at least eight different varieties of them in this region. So um, that again is spot on. Um, and then within the same scene again, we have another moment, which I'm sure a lot of us will remember as well, where Jasmine uh, gets very important over. moment here too. If you remember, this kind of started kind of the whole first chase scene. Remember? Yes. Because yep. this is this is when it became the 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 street rat song. Remember that was always. I think that, that came before. Was this it? Is, yeah, that was before. All right, all right. I'll I, I, listen. He, haven't watched in a while. He didn't have Jasmine with him. He, but this, okay, you're right. This is a bad. This was a close call. Close call for Jasmine because she almost lost her hand. Um, that's right. That's literally, right. Literally, um, and that's because she wanted to give this kid an apple. And again, she doesn't know any better. She just figures you can just take and give. So she gives the kid an apple. Um, but we're apples in this region. Look at this, this guy. Look, look at this guy. Oh, he knows he, what's up. He's pissed. He's like, how dare you take my apple? How dare you? And that's well, remember, happened. remember though, apples, yes, they, so yes, they were grown in this region at this time, but still fruit were still a more of an experimental scientific kind of trial and experience. So Apples, I get. I, I don't quote me on this as necessarily, but based on <laughs> based on those comments of how fruit was being grown, apples might have been not overly common. So the fact that you have this woman grabbing potentially a less in supply product that might be in higher demand, you know, this guy has a reason to look like that. <laughs> a little suspicious. Well, yeah, I mean, he's sitting there going, wait a minute, what's going on here? I mean, and again, being from the 
the castle, she would just grab anything she wanted and hand right. to, to anybody. So to her, these were all for the taking. She wasn't realizing that she had to pay for these items. Right. Now, what would be question is, I wonder if she had all these different fruits and vegetables in her castle that we just saw. I don't know. Because she does seem to look at some of them with amazement. So who knows? That that we'll have to leave for another thing. But you know, the apple does make another appearance later in the movie. If if listeners remember, with the um, with Jafar forcing Jasmine to feed him an apple, and you know, Jafar gets a little bit of a bad rap. So this is not necessarily completely fresh produce related, but I think it's an important <laughs> important comment to make in defense of Jafar in this movie. So Jafar comes off as this like really evil, sinister, power hungry kind of guy, but Jafar. The character in Aladdin is actually loosely based on a real life Jafar, and he was an Abbasid vizier. So vizier is like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like uh, this advisor to the ruler or the king or the sultan. Okay. okay, so this is a trusted guy, the kind of the right hand sort of guy. And he, Jafar, the real Jafar, um, he had a reputation as a patron of the sciences. This guy was highly educated and really was fascinated with advancing technology. And he actually introduced Indian science into Baghdad during the Abbasid Empire. And he was actually even credited with um, convincing the caliph, which is basically the ruler uh, of that region, to open a paper mill in Baghdad. Wow. And he even took the secret of paper making um from chinese prisoners in one of the battles that the abbasids were having so this guy you know he was not evil now the how can we, we be mad at this guy he was an entrepreneur yeah. he was listening. now i think i think i know where his oh, where where they kind of grab this in the movie is jafar ends up getting executed by the caliph and the reason for that is because he's it's assumed he had an affair with the princess and the oh. princess sister of the caliph they left so, that out they left that part out well, so that it, you know it, there's it, the time aladdin of course you know because jafar is trying to take you know jasmine now jasmine's not the sister of the sultan of the movie she's a daughter but so there's a little bit of a uh, a thing in there so they, cha they change it up just a little bit a little bit i mean you but, gotta have a villain so i'm just saying i mean the guy again Guy, guy trying to come up in the world like you're your Jafar over there. We got we to gotta talk about Jafar over here. You know, coming up, yeah, got himself bad. from rags to riches. He's next to the Sultan, you know, yeah. just trying to make it, you know, try, trying to find, you know, that that one jewel, right, you know, in, in the uh, in the cave. So I think I think if you were to look at the time period as well, I, I think that it was fact. I, I think that it was pretty spot on to – what we saw in the movie and what was over in uh, that time period in the Middle East. Yeah, no, I agree. I think most of it, a majority of it was definitely I, one picture we didn't bring up and I actually posted earlier today. There was a picture of Abu looking at a, a big plate of fruit and there was actually a big error in that one. Oh, I saw that. Huge, it had like pineapples huge and huge pineapple on the plate and that if I that was that still. nowhere near the era i'm <laughs> gonna try to see if we find if we have that still because the pineapple know. is um indigenous to the americas so the, there's no the way time, yeah by this time find the pineapple, that picture, we'll pull it up we'll pull it back up if you find it but yeah i totally agree with that. i saw that earlier and i was like yeah even yeah, though now about, there's pineapples um, in the philippines 
They're about 900 years off on that one. I was going to say just a few, but it looked cute, right? Yeah, of course. I'm just saying it did. Overall, overall, not, not bad. They got, they got a lot. I think they did a good job. Okay. Now, fact or fiction, we say, I, we said fact, let us know in the comments what you think. Uh, If you, if you're following along, we'd love to hear more from you. Now, the next one, I got to tell you, John, we both talked about this. It is so underrated. This is like, <laughs> it got like yeah. the worst, right. worst, worst like, I think. The biggest not even reviews, but it was more, it was, it was an underrated Disney movie. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because anybody that, that knows Disney, this is a movie that is, is it, it sets the tone and they should really just put this back to the spotlight again. And I believe they made a second one. Um, but but it wasn't as, it was not as good as the first one, but but anyway, (laughs) we're going (laughs) to, so this is the Emperor's new groovy. That's me. I'm crunk. So if you know anything about crunk, like, look, he's got a chef's hat on and not only does he have a chef's hat on, if you look right here, this is his buddy, the squirrel. Now, if you recall in the movie, Crunk was a junior chipmunk, everyone, and he could speak to squirrels. So just a little uh, squick, squick, uh, squick. That just is a uh, hello and squirrel, everyone. Uh, but this is one that we we did. We have to we had to bring up and it was a toss up. And I'm sorry, everyone, but Frozen uh, did get kicked to the curb for the effort new groove. But let's do a little bit of background story. On, you know, the Emperor's New Groove. This is one of my favorites, like of all time. I loved it. David Spade uh, played uh, Cusco, the llama. Uh, John Goodman uh, played the farmer. And then, like I said, I don't know the gentleman's name who plays Krug, but <laughs> downright, if you ever see him in a movie, you'll like, you, you tie it together with this hey, guy. You know his voice. Like, you, you know, know he, he's a great voice actor. I'm not sure who played her. She was a creepy, creepy woman. the the, the yeah, entire was. the entire movie. Am I right, John? Oh yeah, I don't like, know. I mean, she looks like a bug. It's not even human. <laughs> like right? a beetle, yeah, like a beetle yeah. mixed. Like I don't. Is that her hair or is like I, I don't even know what's going on. But let's let's get to it. The background story. So loosely adapted from the classic Hans Christian Andersen folktale, "The Emperor's New Clothes." Now, where this is Inca Empire in Peru. So if you remember that too, they were on the hills of Peru. So sometime between 13 and 1500, pre-contact with Europe. So 1532. Now, the names and imagery mingle elements of the Incan culture where I would say with elements from pre-Inca, Peruvian cultures and non-Incan cultures of Central and South America. Yeah, a lot of There's a lot going on. I was going to say, there's a lot going on. So Cusco's name is similar to Cusco, the Peruvian city considered the capital of the Inca Empire. Mm, and that. Pa- that was his name, Pacha. I never forgot it. So Pacha's name is drawn from uh, Pacha Chutec, considered the most important ruler of the Incan Empire and a historical figure. Now, where does Ag fit into all this? You know, I, I always say, John, it's so crazy because remember the emperor was trying to build his like water park or his vacation? Yeah, Cuscotopia. Cuscotopia, Cuscotopia. Um, Cuscotopia. Yeah. on these hills 
I don't even know how they lived on these hills, too. It, it, that was so that it's was like so Machu Picchu. That was like, so fiction, man. Like, do you remember yeah. when, when they were going do it, drawing the lines of the map and they had to like <laughs> walk over the hills? But let's talk about ag. The Inca Empire controlled four climate zones, and consequently, their agriculture produced was diverse. Ancient uh, Andean people were largely vegetarian, supplementing their diet with uh, comulid, llamas, alpaca, uh, meat, seafood, if they could. The Incas developed a huge farming apparatus where crops and herds were uh, commandeered from conquered peoples and the people themselves were periodically required to work on state-owned farms. Man, it sounds like a whole, our Hawaii episodes that we talked about. A little bit. Yeah, not a lot of meat again. So that's... Right? You know, there's... They just don't have meat there. No. I mean... But it's, it sounds like they're all working for the state-owned farms, though, too. All owned. So Yeah, very communal. The Incas placed great emphasis on strong ag, right? Constructing thousands of storage of silos in every major uh, center of their empire and along with their extensive road system. Mm-hmm. Not not in the movie. Not in the movie no, they didn't have a road system. No, they had to walk up that whole thing, right? Remember? All the mountain. They had to walk through the forest. That's where they met the yeah. squirrel. The talking yeah. llama, like that's where it all happened. So now let's let's go out of this because this is some of the funniest stuff that I'm telling you in this movie was one, the restaurant scene. If if you remember that, John, let's 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 pull yeah, that. Let's start with the restaurant scene because that's that, oh my gosh, that there. that was one of the funniest parts. And um, I might let Definitely you need to let listeners. YouTube this scene. You can YouTube this one. This, was it this, this one or the other one? This particular scene. This is the restaurant scene. You can YouTube this and and see it. It's like I don't know, two minutes long at most. That this this scene, but it, it is funny. And it's during this scene that he's talking about specific foods, which we're going to talk about now. <laughs> so, um, so Kronk is kind of roped in into cooking in the kitchen. Uh, because the chef kind of quits on the spot after kind of being harassed by Cusco. Because he's insulted by the food quality or the food <laughs> options. So uh, you have Kronk in here that's starting to take over. And oh, the God. dish he starts to cook up that's requested by his, I don't know if we refer to her as the boss or his overlord, wh- whoever, whatever <laughs> hierarchy that is, she wants an omelet and um a spinach omelet and so he's cooking that and then it, it, it's going back and forth with her wanting cheese but cusco not wanting cheese or might might be the other way around i can't remember but it just keeps going back and forth back and forth and that's kind of the humor to the scene and 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 uh Kronk just gets really fed up <laughs> with the changing of minds but anyway omelets first of all not produce but let's just get that one quickly out of the way that wasn't in this time period definitely whatsoever. not but, I mean, so yes, there was eggs probably with chicken somewhere in there. Well, not but not much. Yeah, but not but much. Not, I was going to say, but not. no one was making omelets. We're not no. making four-stack omelets here. You know, we're, let me let me get the uh, the chicken, bacon, omelet. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that, was, that wasn't happening. No, I mean, they had, I mean, omelets, first of all, just for sake of knowing, were, were actually, you can trace those back to ancient Persia. So totally other side of the world in all retrospect uh but like you said they they like we touched on they didn't have any really large animals for domestication and so in turn they didn't have eggs or milk or meat or any of that stuff so omelets not realistic spinach spinach is talked about a lot we're going to talk about a second scene after this one but spinach was also 
completely wrong as well. So spinach is actually native to Southwest Asia. So we're talking about even further now. And uh, was actually first cultivated in Persia over 2,000 years ago and then was used yep. by the Chinese in the 6th century. And then finally, it arrives in the Americas with the whole Colombian exchange in the 17, 1800s. So again, totally out of... <laughs> totally, totally, totally out. But I, but in that scene, there was one right thing. They it was kind of snuck in there at one point. I don't know if it was Cusco or the the evil woman, but she they someone asked for a side of potatoes, and potatoes is very much on point as we talked about at length in a few of our episodes with potatoes. Um, potatoes was like a staple of the Incan Empire. I mean that was what fed their empire. I mean that was what fed the armies. You could boil it down and dry it out to this chuño is what they call it. So they would just, the army would live off of this. And so that, that was definitely spot on. Yeah. Now I did find, uh, I, I definitely want to try and share this because I did find it. if you do have a chance to check out the video, everyone, uh, this was, this was obviously a funny one. Where <laughs> onion ring catch of the day. Like, like yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Everything she said, everything she said was was nowhere near That's all twentieth century. The time period. And then he and then he like brings it back to like oh, all right, uh, three wet grandma's face burgs, a uh, bucket of fries and uh sour salmon of the day. I uh, got it. Eh. None uh, of that was in in the current time period at, at no. all. That, now, I uh, think the the most famous though, I think food that keeps getting referred to on and off throughout the movie is first captured in the this scene. Yep. <laughs> so this this is where they first try to poison Cusco uh, to get rid of him because this the the evil lady wants to become uh, the ruler of Cus Custopia or whatever <laughs> whatever yeah is is the empire there and. Um, in this scene, he is serving Kronk's favorite recipe and dish, which is spinach puffs. So again, unfortunately, oh my uh, spinach puffs. Spinach again was not. Now, what is interesting though is quinoa. Okay, was the grain of the Incas. They they consider it the mother grain. Okay, and that was combined with. The three sisters, which we kind of touched on in previous episodes as well, so with corn and squash and beans, um, and of course potatoes. These these were all like critical to the Incan diet. And wild quinoa is actually part of the spinach family. It actually comes from the family, which includes sugar, beets, beetroot, and all that. So I can sort of see maybe the connection there. They probably thought. Because remember, this is why I think this came out in 2000. So quinoa, I don't think quinoa was the fad that it was yet. So I think if they, if this came out now, maybe they could have done with quinoa. But I think spinach was a little more uh, understood at the moment that this movie came out. So maybe that's why they went with spinach instead of the quinoa. My spinach puffs. <laughs> I'm just saying, everyone, you got to have some of my spinach puffs. One of the other classic parts of that movie, you know, John, we watched it earlier, which was when um, he starts talking to his angel and his devil. And, you know, how how funny is that? It's like that's like real world when you're talking to yourself. Right. It's like, you're oh, thinking, yeah. well, should I do that? No, I shouldn't. 
And he's like, he's like, I'll give you three reasons. He's like, one, he's like, that guy's wearing a dress. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, it's a robe. You know what I mean? He's like, two, look what I can do. And he's like, I don't see how that has anything. He's like, no, no, no. He's got a point. Like, you know, he's it's just Kronk like, is the most open-minded like, person. I wish I could live the life that he, you know, just carefree and just, just, you know, you, happy go lucky. You're not a junior chip. You're not a junior chipmunk. Like, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a junior chipmunk to really understand this. So, but let's keep moving forward as we move Our to last the last time. and final film, which is, is more of a newer film. Yes. Okay. Everyone. One that we've, most of us will have seen, I think. Well, and we've done a lot of coverage over yes. the Mystic Islands. So this is one that I love as well. I've seen it probably, uh, you know, I'm going to say 19,444 <laughs> times. The kids love it. That's why. Same um, with me. I mean, it's a great movie. It is. And I think it's one of the most iconic newer newer movies, mm-hmm. but, which, is, which is Moana. Yeah. This is this is obviously one that sets the tone, John. As as and it's great. The songs were great. I didn't think the rock could pull it off singing, but boy, oh boy, you he know, can do everything. He, you know, he definitely can. <laughs> he definitely can do well, it all. You know, he does have the cultural tie, so there was there was some you know validity to all of that, and perfect segue into because again if people don't know the rock dwayne johnson so he is of the tongan right tongan um yeah ancestry so the the moana store story the plot is original so that but it takes inspiration from different polynesian myths namely um the various stories of maui and so maui the, the legends of Mau- maui vary from different polynesian culture to others so there's you know, there's Tonga, there's uh, Tahiti, there's Samoa. Yep. So every culture has a slightly different belief around the story of Maui. Now, 100%. that all said, where do we think this happens? We believe that happens somewhere, either Tonga or Samoa. And I'm going to explain why that is. But so one of the, the islands. And islands. <laughs> but specifically those two. And there's going to be a good reason for that. And we think, or there's good reason to believe that this set, well, this, this movie was set about 2000 years ago which would have been sometime during the long pause now what was the long pause so the long pause um well let's let's go before the long pause so before the long pause you have these western polynesians that were traveling the pacific let's call it about 3500 years ago and you know they're explorers like you see in the movie you know with these huge huge canoes um just island hopping and finding these islands and during this first wave of exploration, they arrive at Fiji, what's today, Fiji, Samoa, and Tonga. And then for about 2,000 years, it just stopped. They just stopped exploring. They stopped settling on new islands. No one really knows why. There are some theories out there. Some say it had to do with the change of weather, so different um, wind systems that prevented them from uh, getting the winds they needed to travel further east. Some say it had to do with, like, crazy algae blooms that was causing uh problems with their food sources so they couldn't eat uh, and you need food when you do these big voyages so we're not really sure why but um that's the long pause and the reason why we believe it's during this period uh the story is because if you recall in the story of moana the that their their community hasn't traveled they said in like 
many, 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 many years. Ah, that's right. Right. So this is most likely during the long pause. And we also know that if this is during the long pause, that Moana is not Hawaiian. She's not from New Zealand because the only islands that would have been settled uh, to mm. a great degree at this point would have been Tonga or Samoa. So that is why we know this. So I know a lot of people confuse maybe or just automatically assume it's Hawaii, but it is not. So that's where this is all taking place. Now, what 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 does the agriculture look like for the Polynesians? Uh -oh. So the Polynesians, above all, were mariners, right? They were sailing. They were sea people. Um, but at the same time, they're also highly devoted to horticulture, um, okay. producing you know staples of the Polynesian diet and most of the condiments and gardens and groves and most of the plants in polynesia were i like <laughs> i like to think of them as it's like a, the swiss army knife of food you know they had to be very intentional with the crops that they were were growing because again they were on the move they needed crops that that could be multi-purposed so a lot of the foods that they grew uh were also provided materials for other purposes so the, you know we'll get into some of those are but the trees of these plants were used for the canoes, for the holes. Yep. Uh, the sap of the fruit was used for caulking the gaps when they built these uh, canoes. Um, they used leaves and fibers of these uh, 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 greenery of these plants for weaving and clothing and all these things. So very much not letting anything go to waste. You know, one great. thing that we always say, like, you know, in the movie too, they always said the island gives us what we need. Remember that song? The island gives us what we need, everyone. That's so what exactly we're, what we're going to talk about. I was going to say, what <laughs> were what were some of those things, you know, in here, you know, and I, you know, if you remember, you know, where you are, right? Yep. Moana's father, uh, two of the chief, talks about coconuts being a resource that is used for everything. We use each part of the coconut. That's all we need. We make our nets from the fibers. The water is sweet inside, right? We use yep. the leaves to build fires. We cook up the meat inside. I mean, everything they they consumed, they used. They made every part of it. And I'll show you a picture of if you remember, uh, you know, John. Uh, this this uh, this was the scene <laughs> where they talked about that. They here it is. Oh, here it is. The coconut. The beloved coconut. The beloved coconut and. And I think that that's one of them that definitely, you know, was that what I'm going to say is that fact or fiction, right? Because was the coconut predominantly in this time period? Well, yes. You know, I I'm say. like, I'm like, do we know? Do we not know? But <laughs> we, do know. <laughs> we do know this one, actually. This is not disputed. I don't but think this was disputed. There, there, there are butts. There are butts in this, though. So. The coconuts were very much um, present on the Polynesian islands, and, and they did come with the original um, Polynesian explorers when they were crossing the Pacific. Um, it was kind of grouped along with what other experts called the canoe species. So these voyagers would carry, you know, the the plants that they could in their canoes. So the other plants uh, that were in the canoe species were taro yams and it worked that way because they could pack these these plants in soil filled pots as they voyaged across the sea to to settle on these new islands and um 
the coconut was one of those critical critical plants that thousands of pacific cultures uh used um now you you kind of touched on the lyrics in that song where they're talking about the different ways they're using it now there are some truths to that but they're also kind of I don't know, not as popular uh, views of how those are used. So the coconut fibers, yes, you know, those don't stretch or shrink in water. And so that's why they are commonly used in maritime practices. So that's why they refer to the fishnet. So that's, that's likely. Um, the coconut water was commonly used um, in these coconut based cultures throughout the Polynesian islands, but not as, as something like sweet drink or something. It was used as medicine. So, you have Western empires that would come through these islands and see the coconut and drink them. They'll be like, oh my God, this, this is such a sweet drink. It's used as a beverage, but no, that's not at all what the Polynesian people would have thought primarily of the coconut um, water as. So when they say that in the sun, that the coconut water is sweet inside, that's a bit of a Western influence in there. Um, the coconut leaves. So in the song, they say that they were for lighting fires, not so much what the Polynesian culture is associated with it was actually used more for creation of baskets, um, confection of traditional dance costumes. Um, they used the leaves to extract uh, palm sugar from this uh, from the steams when they steamed um, the 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 leaves. So uh, yep. that has to do with the leaves. And then finally, um, they are well. A lot of the song mentions the relevant of the coconut usages, right? But a lot of it, as we saw, was just closely associated with touristic image of the area. You know, Disney in this particular movie, in many areas, appropriates the coconut and presents it in a way that looks familiar to us Western audiences. Yes. Uh, without really shedding the true realistic representation of what the Polynesian culture saw the coconut as. Yeah, uh, no, I completely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. And, and, you know, going back to the, you know, if you look at even the beginning of that song, right? One thing that we, we did forget to mention, or or I, I forgot to pull it up first, was the bananas. Yes. Remember, do you remember that the bananas were in the beginning of that song as well? Bananas, the tear roots also featured and mentioned in the song too. Yes, yep. And those and those are true. Bananas were definitely there. Uh, were a crop that the Polynesians were consuming and using, as were the taro roots. So that that definitely was spot on. Um, but the coconut was like the headliner um, in this movie. You even had the um, you remember the uh, Kakamora. Oh, those, those like were one of my favorite. People. Those the were one of my one of my favorite. He's like, she's like, remember? She was like, what's that? And she's like, the Kakamora. Kakamora. <laughs> filthy little uh, filthy they're, little pirate. they were very cute before they became like this now this is unfortunately another case of cultural appropriation in the movie um so the wait that's the not real no well oh. it, it sort of is though the kakamura were actually they do have actually cultural roots they're they're a mythical um like elf like short statured people of the Solomon Islands and what the what the Polynesian cultures believed is that the Kakamora live on like nuts and fruits and small animals and what makes them dangerous because that's how they're portrayed in the movie is that from time to time <laughs> the Kakamora yeah. reported to feed on anyone found wandering alone doesn't matter what you are if you're a kid or a hapless traveler 
um, they'll they'll come and attack you. Um, That's what these bulls did. Yeah. So um, they were not coconut people, though. They were just short people. You know, like like elves. Like if you're (laughs) so coconut people, I swear. (laughs) That that was one thing, but um, but again, the the coconut. I I think it's important to understand the the cultural significance of the coconut. I think there there's one particular um, legend tying back to Moana because we again, it's most likely that this was you know this fictitious island that the story is based on happened and what we see as Samoa today and this there is a Samoan legend of the coconut I think it's a I think this is a short story but I think it will give you context that why this particular crop holds so much value in these cultures so the story goes that on the islands of Savai'i and Samoa um, there's this story of uh, a beautiful girl called Sina, whose beauty was just known across the entire Pacific. And um, the beauty, of course, eventually reaches uh, Tuifiti, who is basically the king of Fiji, but he was way older than Sina. Um, and he took to heart and decided that, you know, I'll, I'll see what, what this fuss is all about. You know, let's see if this is true what everybody's saying about how beautiful she is so he uses his mana or his magic right in the polynesian culture they refer to magic as mana and he trans himself now don't ask me why this i'm sure there's probably maybe some cultural significance to this as well but he transforms himself into an eel yeah not the most beautiful thing you would transform yourself into but that's what he does and he goes into the village uh that cena uh lives in and when he gets to the village pool, he 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 witnesses the beauty that is Sina, and he's just taken aback. Now, at the same moment in time, Sina looks into the pool and she sees this hideous eel staring up at her, and she cries out, "You stare at me with eyes like a demon!" And um, very quickly, though, she notices that the eel was nice and decides you know i'm gonna make it my pet like a lot of young people might do (laughs) and so years and years pass and tuifiti grew old and of course with that his magic so his magic weakens and he had grown so weak he decides to reveal himself and he explains to cena that he was once this king of fiji and he had come to see her beauty but he had he, he knew they had no chance with her due to his age so um at this point in time he then asks cena to plant his head in the ground and cena uh taken with his words respects them and follows his request and plants this eel head into the ground and it is from that head in the ground that the coconut tree grew and when the husk is removed from the coconut there are three round marks right which appear like the face, they say, of the fish with two eyes and a mouth. So one of the marks is pierced for drinking the coconut. And so when Sina takes a drink, she is kissing the eel. And so that is the story, the Samoan legend of the coconut. That's crazy. I think that's pretty cool, man. So if we look at, so if we were to say Moana, fact or fiction, I would... I would almost say like 50-50. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they have the crops 
I think they have the crops pretty well, but there are some, yeah, appropriation going on in there. A little bit of twisting of the, of the scene to cater to a certain audience. Um, but if you look at just the raw crop, yes, it, they were there. They were yeah, there. it was definitely, definitely interesting. So, you know, everyone, this, these are the type of things that, you know, we're going to have fun with on our, on our live streams this year. We're going to talk about fact or fiction. We're going to talk about, like John said at the beginning, we got some fun stuff coming up. I want to talk about, you know, geez, all types of things that we're not going to get into tonight. But, John, any any uh, any final thoughts, uh, you know, moving in, you know, yeah, as we as we start to close the episode, we had some we did have some fun comments in there. Uh, just, you know, obviously with with Maddie being awesome starting out, you know, we did have Amanda Rose jump in and say, you know, I don't even think she's ready for this. You know, I even had someone, you know, uh, you know, we had uh, Leanne Papp. I believe this is uh, even your mom that watches, which is awesome. We love that our family watches this. But, you know, when I think she said, when I think of produce in Disney movies, the poisonous apple in the very first Disney movie made Snow White, you know, come to mind. And it's so true because produce was such a center point in all of these movies. And, and I'd say this earlier, even all of history. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, wars start on food, land, and currency, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's food is one of those things that everybody can relate to. And so because of that is, you know, strongly featured, I mean, as we saw, saw in all these movies, I mean, they're strongly featured, um, not necessarily always correctly, but they are there. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a fun exercise to, to look at how food plays, um, a role in our cultures and our decision makings and our fairy tale stories, um, and what they represent. Like you say, with the app, the apples a fascinating history, which I'm sure we're going to do probably multiple episodes on because there's just so much with apples and there's good reasons for those as well. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll just do a we'll do a second round of Disney sometime down uh, down the road because there's a whole lot more movies um, out there um, with interesting histories around produce um, and maybe not just Disney movies, maybe other movies too. Who knows? There's no shortage. I agree. Everyone, keep keep putting your comments in. We will check the comments later as we keep going. Um, we are at our time limit today. We don't want to keep you too much this late in the night. But we will uh, shout us out on, you know, Facebook. Check us out, The History of Fresh Produce on Instagram. And, you know, just keep watching, keep commenting, and we'll fill in the blanks where we can. All of this, John and I are doing a ton of research on, making sure that we have something for you, uh, I would say, uh, to swallow and, and have fun with. So, you know, Jafar? Gronk. You know, this, is, this, is, this, this, this has been fun. And... We thank everybody and we'll see you on the next live stream. Have a good night.